If I asked you what time it is, I'm pretty sure you'd just take it at face value. You'd look at your watch. You'd pull out your phone. You'd look back at the clock and go, all right, it's 1041. But there's another way to hear the question. In fact, um, it was this friend of mine, Stan, who uh, was coaching me as a leader, and he would say to me, Mark, what time is it at Door Creek? Like, what's going on? What, what are you facing? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? So when I ask you this morning, what time is it? It's a question that's coming right out of Ecclesiastes 3. What season of life are you in? What is it demanding of you? Are you aware of what season you're in? Is this a season that you would choose? Is this a season that you chose? Is this a season you just soon get rid of right now? I called my dad this past week. He's 92 and a half years old. And uh, he is in one of those seasons where he wants to just go home. He has been it been in it so long with just lots of physical things, and he loves Jesus, his mind is clear, and he just goes, I want to go home. That's where I want to go. I wasn't sure what this college student meant by her t-shirt as I passed her on the, uh, the bike trails in the Arboretum as Lori and I were taking a bike ride with friends, and it said, sleep in, drop out. So I, I don't know what season she thinks she's in or about to be in, but what season are you in? And what do you think... God would ask of you in this season? What do you think you should expect of this season? What do you expect God could do in this season, through this season? Ecclesiastes 3 talks about the seasons of life. So grab your Bible. Ecclesiastes is in the middle of our Bibles, right after the book of Proverbs, before Song of Solomon. If you need to uh, use the table of contents, that's where most of us started out when we were new to the Bible. Feel free to do that. And as you're turning, we remember that the thesis as he opens the book is everything in life is meaningless if we live life under the sun, meaning without God. Life under the sun is meaningless. It's this vapor. It's futile. It's fleeting. It it's just doesn't make sense. And you can't straighten what's been made twisted and crooked. You can't add up to what is deficient in this world. There's no way to find Meaning and significance and satisfaction and purpose through the things of this world. And so in chapters 1 and 2, he said, work won't do it. He said, wisdom and knowledge and intellect won't do it. And seeking pleasure won't do it. So as you hear these 14 couplets that remind us that there's a lot of different seasons in life, maybe one of them, God will use say, and, and that's the season I need you to move into or that you're in. I need you to trust me in. Verse 1, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. If you do, remember boomerangs, okay? A time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. So the context here is he's not reflecting on 
the meaninglessness of life under the sun without God. He's just said at the end of chapter 2, though life is meaningless without God, with God, we can receive our work and all of life as a gift from him and find joy and happiness. So what he's doing here is helping us get our expectations straight about what life looks like. Getting our expectations straight of what we should expect from God in the midst of the seasons, the highs and the lows of life. And getting it straight of what God expects of us as we navigate life here in this twisted, fallen place called planet Earth. What he expects from us as his followers to trust him. Right? So that's kind of the, the rhythm of chapter 3. What should we expect of life? A lot of different seasons, some highs and some lows. It all kicks off with a time to be born and a time to die. When I think about that, the overarching span of our life, I think of the two Henrys in my life. So Henry Waits is four months old. He's our, he's our first grandson. Can't get enough of Henry. I have concluded FaceTiming with Henry is better than anything on Netflix. I love it. I am a pathetic grandfather, and I make no apologies. You want to see a picture? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so then the other Henry in my life is my dad, 92 and a half years old. So once is coming, and one real soon is going home. And in the frame of our existence, we don't pick those dates. The doctors can say, here's the due date. God says, here's your birth date. The actuarial table say, here's your death date. And God handles the date on the death certificate. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 8, Solomon says this, As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has the power over the time of their death. In verses 18 through 21 in chapter 3, he's going to say, we're just like the animals. Our breath is just like their breath. We're going to die. They die, we're going to die. And that's one of these recurring themes, like, thanks, Solomon. Thanks, Solomon. Now, it's a good thing to remember. Because the more we catch up with this reality that, that we're going to die, the easier it is to start living life like this. Every day is a gift. And every day an opportunity to live for God and for others. But between our birth and death, there are these seasons, these 14 couplets, these pairs. It doesn't describe everything in our lives, but a lot of the seasons of our lives. Now, if it was up to us, we'd go... I just want the upside of the seasons. I like those things. I don't want to pick those. But he's saying, look, you can't. You can't. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, Lori and I were leaving for a summer break. We were riding high. Little Henry's heart was closing so that he wasn't even going to need surgery for the hole in his heart, let alone for all the other crazy heart things that he had before that. We're riding high. We're going up to Door County. Are you kidding me? We're going to have this great time together. And you know what? That's the season we thought we were in. And then we found out Claire's got cancer, our 26-year-old daughter. It's a whole new season. We don't get to pick our seasons. But God calls us to trust him in our seasons. And so we would just assume, you know, plant, not uproot. Like, does anybody like weeding? Please, someone raise your hand, because I got a vegetable garden. Would you talk to me after the service? I mean, it's out of control right now. We don't like weeding. We like planting things, right? We, 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 we want healing, not killing. We want to build them, not tear down. We want to laugh and dance, not mourn and weep, right? 
We want love, not hate. We want peace, not war. That's what we want. But we live in a twisted, fallen world, and hello, we're the one who twisted it. At the very beginning, it was all good. That's what Genesis 1 says. Very good. We mucked it up when we thought we could do a better job of running this world than God. And so we should expect life to be a combination of things. These seasons that can take us to the heights and drive us to the depths of despair. Get our adrenaline just coursing and then just almost paralyze us in a deep, fearful depression. We should expect that. Expect that we're not in control. And Solomon, as he's thinking about it, reflecting on it, it drives him back to that moment of despair where he goes, yeah, there's all these seasons, but the reality is he's still got to do this work, and the work doesn't change the season. So he says in verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. But he's not just driving us to this point of despair. He's going to get us to this place of hope because right now in verse 11, he turns from what we should expect from life, and that is different seasons. To what should we expect from God in the seasons of life? Look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. The referent there is God in verse 10. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So eternity doesn't solve all questions, answer all questions. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But there's two things he said we should expect from God. That he's in control, and that he can take even the hard things and work them for good, even bring beauty out. So kind of the overarching lesson here that Solomon wants us to get. Whatever season you're in, whatever season I'm in, trust God. He's the only one who can make things beautiful in its time through the seasons of life. So first thing he says is, remember, God's in control. It's an appointed time. We don't schedule it, right? It wasn't on my calendar this June, to be up with Claire and encourage her through her battle with cancer. That was God's time. God's in control. The psalmist says, Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hands. The demons recognize God controls all things, even time, the events of time. So the demons said to Jesus, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Speaking of their impending judgment and destruction. So God's in control. And it's a time. It's a season. It doesn't mean necessarily it's a day, a minute, an hour, but it doesn't mean it's forever. Now, some of us are in what I call this long season. So the, the hard seasons are like winter, and then, you know, comes spring. And we love that when we kind of come out of it. Some of us are in what I call a long winter. we got to catch up with that. We're not really good at that. What I mean is we're not really good at walking with people through long winters. I mean, it's hard enough on our own. We beat, each, we beat ourselves up. God, what, what, am, what am I not getting here? 
Just teach me, teach me, teach me, because I know as soon as I learn the lesson, it'll be spring, and I can't wait for spring. And that's not how it works. The punishment that we deserve was all on Christ. This isn't about punishment. This is severe mercy in our life. I call it polishment. This is about his severe mercy where he's throwing us to Christ and we're growing to be more like Christ. And a bunch of people around us, including ourselves, are impatient like, come on, just get over it. Just move on. Sometimes we can't move on because we're still in the season. It's a deep, dark, cold, depressing winter. Hello, right? And, and we can't hurry each other up. We just got to join in the winter of it. And that's when we weep with those who weep. And that's when we strengthen and encourage their hand, not in a cliche verse, but just with truth from God's word. Not that any verse is cliche, so let me just catch up with that phrase. You know what I'm saying? Just to throw out something. Here, here. No, we enter in. And that you let us enter in. And that's why we do life groups together. That's why we want to do life together. To help each other through the seasons of life. That we would trust God even in that. To make that beautiful. That season. And so that's the second point he talks about. He says that God brings beauty into each and every season. But let me just say before we get to that beauty. He's also let us know that this season is just a season. We actually know that in our subconscious, in our heart of hearts. We know that this is just a time in our life. We know that there's something later, or at least you don't know it, but you're thinking about it. Because the scriptures say God has placed, what? Eternity in our hearts. He's given us a sense of awareness. He's actually created us with a dimension that we're not just an animal. Hello. We are created in the image of God. And there's something unique about us that's created in the image of God, that he's placed a sense of the eternal in our hearts. We were made for more. This body and this world, it's not heaven. We were made for a better day. We long for a better day. And that is intrinsic in human nature. Lewis is writing about that very thing in the Chronicles of Narnia, his classic multi-volume story for kids. If you got young kids, man, read it to your kids. My kids loved it, and I loved it. In the, in the last volume, the last book, The Last Battle, it's the unicorn that sums up what everybody's feeling about being in Narnia now. I've come home at last. This is my real country I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this. So Lewis says we live in the Shadowlands. There's these little hints and glimmers of heaven where all the stuff of one through eight that's bad, that it's, it's gone. There's none of that. In heaven. And so he's in control. This is a season in my life. I know there's something more. It feels like forever right now. You're raising that little family, but your friends keep telling you, the older people keep telling you, you're getting tired of it. Don't get tired of it. It is that quick. It's like a snap. It's like a blink, and they're gone. 
is fast. We know that. He's in control. But he's good and working good in it. Because it says, too, in verse 11, that God brings beauty into each and every season of our lives. And the wording here makes it clear that the season isn't necessarily beautiful. That's what he's saying. He makes it. He changes it. He transforms it into taking something that's awful into something that actually is beautiful. Isaiah speaking of that when he talks about God brings beauty out of the ashes of our lives and of our histories. Isaiah 61.3, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In fact, one day Jesus will make it all beautiful. Revelation 21.5, he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. Man, that's a hard one right now if you're in one of those seasons. It's just, really, is God in control? Is he in control of the times of my life, this season of my life? Could he bring anything that we would call beautiful out of this? Maybe you're going through a divorce. Beauty? Maybe you're dealing with a terminal illness. Beauty? Maybe you are so far from getting right-sided financially and you're struggling and, and, and you just can't even hear the phone ring without just having a physical reaction. You go, beauty? Where's the beauty in this? How, how could we ever tr- have confidence? How could we ever believe that? And the answer is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. When we, when we see what God is doing in human history through, through Christ, we see he's in control of the time. So Galatians 4, 4 says, at just the right time. And now we talk to theologians and historians and sociologists. They, they would tell us, and here's why it was just perfect, that God would send his son when Rome was reigning the world. At just the right time, God sent his son to be born into this world. And it was at just the right time that Jesus died over Passover. And the scriptures tell us in Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. For weeks and months, the religious leaders are trying to take him out. But it was God's time, and he was in control of it. And Jesus repeatedly said, it's not my time, it's not my time. And then he says, it's finished, I did it. In God's way, in God's time. We see it in Christ. He was raised on the third day. Just as he said, God's in control. We see that in the life of Christ. And we see that the worst season that has ever been encountered by any human being ever, the innocent Son of God being crucified on a Roman cross, brought the greatest good and beauty. Consider this, that the scars of Christ by which we are healed and forgiven and made into a right relationship with the Father so that he calls us daughters and sons of God. That's the stuff of eternity, the scars of the cross. That's part of what we worship when we look at Jesus, what is beautiful about Jesus, that he gave up his life for you and me, and we didn't care about him. That's the beauty 
So if I, if I keep my eyes on Christ, like the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim right as we look into his glory and grace. And so right now, we've got we to focus on Christ in the storms of life, in the seasons of life. We've got to focus on Christ when we're riding high because we're, we're apt to forget him, Deuteronomy 6. When you get a new land, right, with the houses you didn't build, with, the, with wells you didn't dig, with the, with the vineyards you didn't plant, and get it all, you're going to eat, you're going to be satisfied, and you're going to forget me. He says, be careful, be careful, be careful. In the seasons of life, the high you're on right now, the success, you're, it's all from his good hand. See Christ in it. And when it's hard and the winter's long, look to Christ. Turn your eyes upon our only hope, the anchor of our souls. You wonder what Mary and Joseph, I mean Mary and the disciples thought. They had to be struggling. They had to be struggling that it was good. But we see it clear. I've been thinking about our 26-year-old daughter, Claire. For some of you that don't know, she uh, found out she had a tumor in her breast, and they took out this huge six-inch tumor. It was malignant, had a radical mastectomy, and getting ready to face radiation. And man, as parents, it's just sad. You just feel bad. You know, one of your kids is going through that. And, um, but, but we see beauty. Man, I see beauty in Claire. Just the strength God has given her, the calm spirit. I, I see beauty in the friends like Lindsay, who just came out this week from Vancouver to be with Claire. Her sister Bridget, her roommate, her other roommate Hannah, how they went to all the early doctor's appointments, sat through all the surgeries, writing it all down, helping with the medicines, everything. Just love, beautiful. The, the, the family, the, the, the loving community that surround her, beautiful. My niece, her cousin Nikki and Jed, who sent her a Vitamix. It's beautiful. I mean, all these things, just beautiful, beautiful. And I'll never forget that the first night she came home and John and Laura, so Laura's our married daughter, Liz, down in Texas, John's a captain in the army, and they're the parents of little Henry. And so they wanted to be with Claire, and they came up, they flew up. And so that first night, Claire came home. Here's a picture of it. Claire was sitting in the couch, and John and Laura just handed little Henry to her, and it just, it just lit her up, just lit her up. The, the beauty of God's grace and our family and hope, new life, you see beauty beauty. You don't see it right now. You go, I, I, I don't see it. Well, maybe we're not looking for it. We keep looking to Christ, the one who loves us, the one who suffered, the one who said, I won't leave you or forsake you. The one who said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not going to change. I'm not just with you. I'm for you. I'm not just leading you into the season. I'm going to take you through it. You look to Christ, and then look around. Look around for beauty. And don't be surprised if what's happening is God is transforming you 
That's why James could say, the brother of Jesus, this crazy thing, count it all joy when you go through various trials and tests because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And as you have the stronger, more tenacious faith, it makes you mature like Christ. And the beauty that you should be looking for is just little glimpses of God and how he's changing you and chiseling away in this hard time in your life. All that is in Jesus to make you more like Jesus. His grace in the throes of life. So what are we to do? What does God expect of us? Verse 12. He says, I want you to be happy and do good. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Be happy and do good. Be happy lets me know. That's it. Actually, that's a choice. In the seasons of life, we can choose to be an Eeyore or to be happy, a Tigger, right? We have choice. Be happy and do good. A lot of us aren't, aren't happy because we're so focused on ourselves and our circumstances. We're having this perpetual pity party. And we've never even seen the people around us who are going through hard things, and we're not doing good. You want a fast track to happiness? Do good. Do good. In his autobiography, Open, which was uh, one of my summer reads, Andre Agassi writes this. He's talking about his friend Frankie. He owns a restaurant in, in, in Manhattan or somewhere in, in New York. And when he's married to Brooke Shields, they love to go there. He'd clear out the restaurant for them, and they just hang out. And he got to know Frank. He got to know his family. He got to know Frankie's heart and his fears. And Frankie opens up, and he says, man, I just, I just have a lot of uncertainty and fear about my kid's future, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to put him through college. Andre leaves that restaurant that night, calls up his assistant, and he says, I want you to get a bunch of stock from Nike. You know, he's a, sponsored by Nike. And let's give it to Frankie. Put it in a trust so in 10 years, he'll have gobs of money so that his kids can get through college. And he, he tells him about it. And Frankie's this big blubbering guy. And he's just, he's a mess. And he can't believe how generous and kind Andre has been to him. But here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear what it did to Andre. He says this. Helping Frankie provides more satisfaction and makes me feel more connected alive than any other event in the year 1996. I tell myself, remember this. Hold on to this. This is the only perfection there is. So he's a perfectionist. He's plagued by perfectionism in his tennis game and in his life. His father drove him to that. But he says, this is the only perfection there is. The perfection of helping others. This is the only thing we can do that has any lasting value or meaning. In all of his accomplishments, in all of his wealth, in all of his exploits, here's what really lit him up. Helping Frankie and his kids. In the seasons of life, God says to us, be happy and do good. Then he says in verse 13, find your satisfaction in me, not in the season of your life. Look at verse 13. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. How do they do it? This is a gift of God. Satisfaction, joy, happiness, meaning, purpose, significance. He's going to argue throughout is not in our accomplishments. It's in our relationship. Find your satisfaction in God. 
I want that so much for you as a pastor, that you would be strong, identified that you are in Christ, that that is your fundamental way of how you see yourself. Ephesians 2.10, that you are his masterpiece, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do, that, that you'd have satisfaction that has nothing to do with circumstances, contentment, because you know who you are and whose you are. And I think when we get into seasons of life, it's real easy to go, man, I'm trying to sync up with this calendar you got me in. And, uh, you know, I, I, apparently I, I, got the, I got the wrong invite to this season because I certainly didn't accept this one. Right, and we're just all over the calendar thing. And I, I think there's another thing on our phone that he's more interested in. It's that FaceTime thing. We're not going to know the calendar thing. And thankfully, we don't know all the calendar things of our life. Right? He says, just draw near to me. Find your soul satisfaction, contentment. When your life is being torn apart, in me, my relationship. And so he sums it up in verse 14. Be happy, do good, find your satisfaction in God. But, and, and you do that by trusting in verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him, seeing God for who he is and responding in that reverent, affectionate, humble obedience. Trust God. Trust God. One of our good friends who's in one of those long winters said to Lori this week, I'm hanging on to this truth. I'm believing it with all I have. While we are waiting, God is working. While we're waiting, God is working. So here's what I'd suggest as you find yourself in a hard season. Keep a record of the good things. Start noting the beauty in and around you. I, I'm not a journaler. I'm just, I'm a talker. So writing's a little harder for me. But one thing I've disciplined myself to do is just write down. It's part of my spiritual growth plan. It's just write down three things every day from the day before that I'm thankful for, one of them having to do with the character of God. And, and just train your eyes for it. Pray specifically for all that you need. Get scripture that you can keep going back to. So as this June started unfolding, transitions here at work, financial challenges here at work, you know, Henry's thing, my dad and Lori's mom, both really in bad health, and then Claire's cancer, just all these different things pulling at me. And I'm reading through our Old Testament reading plan. I get to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, and it's Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Israel, of Judah, the southern kingdom, and there's this this army that's coming, this huge army, and I love what he said, because it was just like where I felt. He says, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you alone. And I needed that scripture to center me and to guide me, to give voice to my own confusion and wondering, Lord, what do I, what do I, I don't know, I don't know, but I know where to turn, and I'm going to keep my eyes on you, Lord. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. The psalmist says, 62.8, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. 
you pray for yourself even as God is praying for you. So you're weary, you're worn out. The scripture says when we trust in him, he'll give us renewed strength to run and not grow weary, to walk and not be faint. He'll give us wings like an eagle to soar when we feel like we can barely put our next step forward. Trust in him. He's not only in control, he's a good God. And we keep looking at Jesus' hands to remind us of that. He's good, he's good. And he is able, the one who created this world out of nothing, the one who can bring beauty from the ashes, he is the one who can bring beauty out of this season in its time. Let's pray. Lord, for those who are in a tough season and don't know you, may they remember that you actually entered in a tough season. You're 33 years, born in poverty, dying in ignominy, humiliation, naked on the cross. You, you endured. Let, let them know that you are a compassionate, merciful God that you care about them? Would you give them faith to believe that you're a God who desires a relationship with them, that there's nothing that they have done that could drive them away from you, that there's nothing that they have done that, that the cross hasn't covered? Grant faith. Strengthen faith that we may be a people that point to the beauty of who you are and how you change our lives in the hard things. And may we be a happy band here at Door Creek who are busy about doing good and serving others and finding that our greatest reward. And may we grow to have a deeper trust in you as we face the challenges, the seasons of our life together in this place and as your people. Until you come or call us home, have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.